Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. That means you're listening to the Mystery of Parenthood, and um, we're glad you are. So um, sit back for the next little bit here, and before we get started, uh, we're going to be in with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love... Strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. All right. Uh, so we, you know, after we spent all that time on the on Familiaris Consortio, um, we're kind of looking for something that I think, I, you know, I think with regard to what they're asking for about the education of children, what Pope John Paul II was asking about the education of children, mm-hmm. the discipling of children, we were looking for something in and. As usually the case, um, Thaddeus uh, found one, and and interestingly enough, oh, thanks, Trey. Yeah, it's really uh, nice uh, you to see no, that. I found it found it, uh, one that breaks it down really kind of nicely in terms of kind of nice, um, which hope he'll keep us. Yeah, we track. thought we were kind of operating at a high, pretty high level for several right. weeks. Let's go now. Let's turn a little more practical. Right, a little practical and a little bit, you know. It, Short-winded. Yeah. <laughs> Short-winded, yeah. Which is hard for me, but me with John Paul II, woo, <laughs> we got problems. <sighs> but, uh, yeah, exactly. <sighs> Wore you out. But, uh, but, but it, was, it was interesting because it's built on Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And if you could ever go back and through the cobwebs to our the initial, of show, initial show, which was, I don't know, Eight nine years ago, I mean, lots of shows between here. Before and there. I was here, this ver- this verse Y'all were already going right. Stephanie and I, this verse is kind of central to the way we've built, or it's kind of these verses are kind of um, foundational to what we did, and it's to a, the way we raised our kids, or tried to raise our kids, or try to disciple our kids. And this article on discipling children that he found. That had really good, I think, points, um, and a good way to break it down was built on the exact same <laughs> verses that we started the show. Oh my gosh, Trey! I so, just realized this. What? What? <laughs> the title of the article is "A Biblical Model for Discipling Children." Right. And when I first read it, I thought it was a biblical model for disciplining children, and I thought, "Oh, how fascinating." <laughs> And then you kept saying discipling children, discipleship. I mean, okay, I'm sure oh. discipleship fits in with discipline. Oh yeah, well, that, it, but it yeah, is. It's a biblical model for discipling, discipling children. children. Yeah, which is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make disciples, right? And obviously, I mean, Jesus's great commandment is go make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. Well, he as the God who created the human family and the way it was orchestrated decided to, to hand it off to families, husbands and wives raising children. Mm-hmm. So in, in a, in the strictest sense where discipling nations should occur is right in 
is beginning in the family. So as parents, we have kind of a duty and responsibility to disciple to which, which includes discipline, but, but it's, it's a way of kind of teaching them what is living this life? What is, what is meaning being a Christian look like and Mm -hmm. how can I apply it to the world and those type of things. And so anyway, I thought this was a, I thought it was excellent. So it's based on Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which for most of y'all, I would think you've probably heard uh, it before. Jesus, <laughs> uh, when he's talking about, you know, what, which commandment is the greatest, I mean, he he quotes it the um, mm-hmm. and, and uses and uses this. Um, it's the what, what's it called the Shema. The Shema prayer, yeah. The Shema prayer, which is something that's central to uh, the Jewish faith and to us as well, because Jesus, again, says... And the Jews took know, things literally. I mean, it right. says... Well, we'll get we'll get to that in just a second. Do you want me to read? Yeah, go ahead and read it, If yeah, if you don't mind. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch. It's the fifth book in the Catholic Bible. Correct. In, in in any in, Bible, in any, certainly any Christian Bible, any Christian Bible, yeah, yeah I don't because uh, that would all be the same. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the last of the first five books, Deuteronomy chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole being and with your whole strength. Take to heart these words which I command you today. Keep repeating them to your children. Recite them when you are at home and when you are away. When you lie down and when you get up. Bind them on your arm as a sign and let them be as a pendant on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. And Jews literally did that. They literally had the words of the Shema that they would wear around their forehead or on their wrist and keep, and keep those words that prayer with them. Yeah. And that, um, and like I said, from a Christian standpoint, that's Jesus as much as this is the, what's the greatest commandment or he asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he confirms it's, mm-hmm. you know, hero Israel, the lo- the Lord, our God is one, uh, is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. So that's foundational to living our lives uh, as Christians. That's gotta be the motive. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- that needs to be the motive for everything that we do. And so it's kind of interesting. They, they use this and then, basically break down to five simple qualities for discipling your children, children, five, five things that we should try to um, mimic in using what, what these, what this verse, what these verses kind of promote and laid out. Mm -hmm. So, so those five simple qualities are um, relationship. We'll go back over each one. Relationship is number one. Experience is number two. Truth is number three. Discussion is number four. And response is number five. And we'll I'll try to make the connections and then extend them extend them out um to include it's interesting, this this comes from yeah, a uh, a Protestant ministry. Totally solid. But maybe we can expand a little bit in terms of um, making it a little Catholic. So, first one of the five qualities, five simple qualities um, for discipling your children, uh, flows from they use Deuteronomy six five through six: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. So. This is quoting from them. Discipling children begins with the children, children's um, worker's heart. Their love for God 
flows through. Remember this? To they the wrote this article. Yeah, they wrote for, this um, for for people like that forming work. people who work in children's ministry. Right. So I so in this case, deciding children begins with with us as parents, I guess, in our heart, um, and their love for God flows through them to their children. And I I would agree with that because that's the way God has designed it. Remember, mystery of parenthood is, is somehow God has entrusted to us in the sacrament of matrimony the job of being a sign, an outward sign to them of God's love, right? And what that what that looks like. So 100% would agree with that. And then... Um, and Pope John Paul II says as much right. in Familiaris Consortia. Right. And, as we were discussing. Right. And so um, we're, we're, we're meant to be that outward sign, and God... God is meant to speak to our children through us. That's the way he wants it. Uh, that's the way he built it, um, the way he created it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and same thing, as they, as, as they, as parents, if we're filling this in, live according to God's commandments, their example teaches the children. Their words and deeds often speak louder than words. And that's true. You know, I do think there's something about more is caught than taught. And I, and you do have to tie words with actions. I mean, but our actions are going to speak louder. I've noticed in my own life and watching kids that even at young ages, they can find a hypocrite quickly. Somebody who Mm -hmm. is saying one thing, but doing another. Mm -hmm. And so our example is so, so important. Um, Parents example, because I think that, that we were looking at this verse from Vatican two, not the verse, this section from Vatican two. Where was that? The 90, I've got it right here, but I don't remember exactly where it was. It's in, it's in number 36. It's quoted in 36 in Familiar's Consortio. It's Right. Since parents have conferred life on their children, they have a most solemn obligation to educate their offspring. Hence, parents must be acknowledged as the first and foremost educators of their children. Their role as educators is so decisive that scarcely anything can compensate for their failure in it. Whoa. Right. For it devolves on parents to create a family atmosphere so animated with love and reverence for God and others that a well-rounded personal and social development will be fostered among the children. And you can hear that there are echoes of, of Christ, right? Love and reverence for God and others. Right. The, the, the first, the two, the greatest, two commandments, greatest commandments, love God, love, love your, your neighbor. neighbor. Right. And that's, and that's part of it. So there has to be a relationship between, um, between our parents, parents and their children, obviously. And the way it's designed we're intended as parents to be the educators and the way the foundational principle of that is that we need to live, love God first, love our neighbors, second commandment. And our children need to be witnesses to that. They need to, they need to see it, but we also need to explain it as well. And so I think that that really speaks to the importance of what we have but building that relationship, so the relationship between God and us and, and our kids recognizing that we're meant to be. As I've told, as I've said before, I've tried to tell my kids, when I handle something well, the best I can with you as a dad to a child, <laughs> that's closer to what God is. When, I'm, when I don't handle um, when I don't handle something well, lose my temper, jump to an assumption and react to the assumption before I gather all the facts, <laughs> those type of things, and I'm sure nobody else out there has ever done as a dad, mm. certainly not you, Thaddeus. No, never, never, <laughs> never, 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 never. But, but when, you, when, you, when you make a mistake, I've always said that's – I'm not accurately reflecting God. I'm, I'm actually more reflecting me. <laughs> And I'm reflecting humanity. I'm reflecting my humanity, my fallen humanity, because I mishandled that. Uh, and I meant to try to reflect. That's a high calling, right? And that and that has to happen very high in relationship with God. So w- we need to be 
striving for holiness, knowing we're going to fall as parents, as dads, Thaddeus and I talking here. I mean, we've got to do that. So central to that from a purely Catholic, that relationship that is going to be the foundation of us being able to raise our kids that's spoken to here and the way that we love the Lord, your Lord, our God with all our heart, soul, and mind is by the things that we do. So we should start every day with an offering. Mm-hmm. We should be, we should be trying to go to mass. Why? Cause there, that's where he is. Adoration. If we can, even just to stop by, if you run by, or even just a spiritual communion at your desk or on the road, anything that's trying to show I'm thinking about you, right? I mean, that's what a you know a love note or whatever to your watch, just a just a thought, a, a, even a text. It's something that just a, it doesn't take much to do. Well, the same thing with God. We're we're if we love somebody, <laughs> then we're going to think about him. Even if we're busy with other things, we can just take a little moment. And, you know, as St. Therese says, just a glance, prayer is a glance towards heaven, mm-hmm. just an acknowledgement of who it is. So we want to build that relationship and try to, and try to have, um, make sure that they understand the relationship between um, us and God, see it, that we're praying, that we're going to mass, that we, that we understand that the Eucharist really is Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and that when we receive him, that he can act through us, that he can transform us, make us more like that. That when we fall to go to the church and reconciliation and penance, that our relationship with God is primary. We've always, you know, that's primary and it's foundational. It's the source, <laughs> foundational, and the summit that from which all of our Christian life flows. And we use what God has, frequent confession, going, going, to, going to Mass, receiving the Eucharist, recognizing who He is, and that, that makes Himself present and available to us. And then our kids need to see that so that they recognize that relationship, and then we have to build a relationship with them in discussion. So, Yeah, something I wanted to talk about, um, that article, it says— Discipling children begins with the children's worker's heart. So in this case, the the parent's heart. And one of the pillars or right. features of your mystery of parenthood yep. is having the children's heart. 100%. And kind of a corollary of that here is that we're going to have a hard time discipling our children. Now, they may develop a relationship with Christ if if this isn't here, I mean, God can work oh, yeah, you know, through anything, but we're gonna have a we're gonna have a almost an impossible time discipling them if we don't have if if God doesn't have our heart right if we don't have our heart 100%. in in the sacred heart and in, in the immaculate heart of Mary. So, so that relationship, God wants our heart, and that's why we've right. built why we built kind of a, a foundational principle of the mystery of parenthood was. We got to go after their heart, not just not just obedience for obedience sake, not just you know, yes, Dad will do whatever you say. We we wanted, and I think that's because it's built on the way God God wants our heart. He doesn't just want us to go through the motions of doing whatever he you know. We could go to mass every day and be just going through the motions, not without relationship and and not have a relationship, not not the type of relationship, not have our heart fully invested. In other words, we can actually do stuff because, well, that's what I'm supposed to do without doing it for the right reasons. It's the same thing in any marriage. We're meant to be this uh, unity of body and soul, right, of matter and spirit. And so sometimes we can make our matter do things by discipline. That's not something that I'm great – it's because you want to please somebody or because you want um, other people to notice you or those type of things. You can have other motivations. Ultimately, the motivation that God wants from us is for us to do it because we love him, right? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the difference between, and when we fall short, it's the difference between perfect and imperfect contrition, right? Because you can do something, you can be sorry for something because I've broke that relationship, or you can be sorry for something because of the just punishments that I receive. We want children that when they break relationship with us, that they're more concerned about, oh my gosh, I've damaged the relationship I have with my parents than than a child who's just worried about, oh my gosh, I'm going to get punished, <laughs> right? I mean, we the heart is is the person. That's kind of the inner core of a person. If you don't have the heart, you don't really have the person. You may have what looks like you have the person, mm-hmm. but it's got to be in it's got to be in the heart. So we do want the heart, and like you said, you can't get the heart unless you've given it, and that goes both ways. It, it's actually kind of hinges on this verse, or at least on what Jesus said, how he uses the verse, it hinges on we've got to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind in order that we can give our heart. It, it kind of, that's part of mysterious. You know, you think if you give your heart one way, you can't give it, but actually it multiplies. I mean, if you give your heart completely to God, then he's going to provide you with what you need to give your heart to them. Right. So, right. but that all, again, starts with, relationship. But, uh, and that feeds in then to the next one, which is experience. Right. Which they use, you know, when you sit, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, it's talking about when do you teach these things? Mm-hmm. So you're teaching, I, this is specifically, I guess, teaching um, these words, right? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might. Um, but we've always taken it to mean that's exactly how you teach it. It's through, it's through experience. In other words, it's through what we go. That's why we have to kind of have our head on a swivel as a, you know, mm-hmm. coaching term as a, as a, as a parent with regard to how does what we just taught them, that relationship, like I've given my heart to God and, and I'm getting, I'm striving to get my, the heart of my child and what does it look like in real life? It happens in concrete circumstances. Familius Consortio said it over and over. How do you become haughty, fulfill your duties? You just do what your vocation calls you to do. So it happens in the moment. So when we discipline or when we're discipling, we need to help them understand, hey, the reason you're doing a good, the reason you want to do a good job in the classroom, for example, right? Certainly it's to be able to get in the college you want, right? And certainly it's because of that. But but the the core reason has got to be God has given me, God loves me, and I'm gonna love him with all my right, with everything I've got, with all with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. And so the the kind of source of why we want to do that is because God has given us the intellect and the will, given us our, our mind. And, and so why do you want to do well in school? Because that honors God. Mm-hmm. And in honoring God, it's going to honor us as, as parents. And that's one of the Ten Commandments. So you, you want to do it. Or how you play a game. You know, if you're teaching the kids, what the, the, the primary reason is not to win, <laughs> that should be a goal. There's nothing wrong, but that can't be the win at all costs. We're going to win with character. We're going to win with virtue. We're going to win for the sake of trying to glorify God. And in fact, we can lose in such a way that we glorify God, right? I mean, we have to be teaching our kids that it's not what the world says. I mean, there's Winners and losers, we have to always be winners. Well, I mean, we want to be winners, right? But we want to be winners in the right way and for the right reasons. And that we have to understand that sometimes what looks like a loss and the way it's handled is um, more important and more of a win than what the world would let you think. And see, as we as Christians have the perfect example, Jesus looks like he's totally a failure hanging on the cross, right? 
I mean, he he looks completely the failure. And yet, because of his obedience, because of his love for the Father, because of his love for all of us, even those who spat upon him, his love, he had the resurrection, but that kind of points us to the fact that there's a way <coughs> that may look to the world like a loss that ends up being something that's actually glorifying God by the way you handle it, right? So part of discipling is is whatever your whatever the circumstances that you find your children in, you gotta you have to use those to point them, continue to point them back to we do this because we love God, right? But this is how it looks. And we're not we're not buying in completely to everything that the world sells as most important because it's not the most important thing. More important than anything is we want to get to heaven, right? It's good for us to struggle to win. But winning can't be the most important thing. It, winning a game. We struggle to want to start in a sport. But, but starting can't be the most important thing. And we have to reframe, you know, we have to reframe that and and make sure that they understand there's a Christian way, a Catholic way, a way experience and the way that happens is is watching what they're going through. I've brought this up before, but I've never I'm probably as proud of any of my children as I am for one of one of mine who was a great athlete but too but smaller than he than necessary to play football and his willingness to take a leadership role by sitting on the bench and not playing that much his 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 willingness to engage and I was like okay you're the winner in that doesn't look like it I mean you're going to get a letter cuz you got on the field but you know you were you didn't score a touchdown your senior year you know you didn't all these things it would be kind of a human way of looking at it but I'm equally if not more proud of the fact that unlike you know it's real easy to be kind of the head of the class, everything going well, and and be a, a Christian, right? Because it kind of works both ways. Everybody's like, oh, he's great. And, it, you know, Tim Tebow, 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 oh, my gosh. T- Tim Tebow, I think, was very popular because he was a winner and he was Christian, right? But there's lots of people who don't get the opportunity to be in the spotlight, or to be the hero. But that doesn't mean they're not heroes. You know, sometimes somebody who sits on the bench that helps encourage or challenge other people for the sake of the team mm-hmm. can be that. So we have to we have to teach them that because the world's not going to teach them that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear all that saying there's no I in team, but most of what you see today... <laughs> points to that. So I guess what this is with regard to experience is we have to keep our eyes open for the experiences and reattach it to we do this because we love God and then the way we do this by being as excellent as we can be. But even if that falls short, whether it's whatever it is that they're doing, even if it falls short, there's a way to do it in, in human eyes if it falls short. There's a way to do it that still can bring glory to God, that still can honor him and still can honor us, even if it's not what the world would say success, it still can be a success. Does that make sense? And there are ways, on the other hand, that somebody can be in the world's eyes a success, but the way they handle it would actually dishonor God or dishonor their parents. Right. Because that becomes the number one um, deal. I mean, again, it's me and we're doing sports. So, so, but you can apply it to anything. I mean, music, dancing, whatever it is, we want to say we want to do the best we can with the gifts and talents that God has given us. And that that's the judge, not, not that's the judge of how we're doing it. Are we doing it for love? Not necessarily the outcome, right? Not necessarily that I'm number one or not necessarily that I won the best because sometimes 
you're not the best, even if you're the best you, you can be right Mm -hmm. in a human perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important as well. So any thoughts on that one? Um, No, I wanted to move on to the third one, truth, truth. because they start out by they, they, what they're using here is Deuteronomy six, seven, impress these commandments on your children, impress them on your, on your children. Um, Keep repeating them to your children. Recite them when you're at home and when you... That's that's how it is in the um, New American Bible that I'm reading from. But um, their explanation of this, they start off with God's word is the source of truth. Children's workers, parents must seek to teach the Bible itself to children, not stories or curriculum. And we would say... We would say as Catholics, we would say, okay, that's, we need to, we need to get that, we need to get a little bit more accuracy there, right? Because, I mean, God's word is the truth. mm -hmm. I mean, because God's word is Jesus. Correct. And Jesus is the truth. The Bible is not the sole source of God's word. 100%. You've got, you got, you have the magisterium. You have sacred tradition as well that that makes up revelation. Revelation, um, and so it is. It's more than just the Bible. What I have found, and I think that kind of springboarding off of what they're saying here, is um, is helping to make these connections about what is true, good, and beautiful. I'm just going to try to read what they say, but. Um, mm-hmm. When you know the Bible itself is studied, read, and communicated creatively to children, I think they're t- they're talking about don't just follow curriculum, don't just do this, make it real. Well, I mean, what we would do, what we did sometimes, it was cool because I can still remember Trevor, our oldest, being able to long before he could read, do the story of David and Goliath that we would had read to him. It was a little beginner's Bible thing, and as the story. Um, but I think what we have to do with regard to that, it's true. God, just like he intervened in those stories. So they have to know the stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, when we hit it, when we hit rock bottom financially, I've told this story before. One of the questions in that morning that I got up and asked the kids was, do you think God makes manna today? You think he provides manna today? Well, if they hadn't heard the, heard the story, that would be a nonsense question. Right. So, and then what's important is, it, yes, it's meant to be creative, but you got to stick to the story and make it accessible for however old your child is. But I think the most important thing is we want to show them that God is active and working in our lives and is worried about our individual um, circumstances today. Mm -hmm. He's not this God who, well, he acted back during those times, but he's not acting today. He doesn't, you know, some distant God who's not personally invested in us and, and loves us more than we can even know. So um, I think part of the impressing is, over and over, I think it's important to say God loves you, but this is what this love looks like, right? I mean, he'll love corrects, love points out the truth, because there's nothing about the truth unless it's delivered without love that is not good for us, right? I mean, with Colby, when I when he found out that I'd said he was slow, because why? Because he was slow, Right. The truth is something that is meant to be a point of conversion, kind of a pivot, right? That's with all of us. It is the truth is, okay, I've got to work harder in this or I've got to stop doing that, but we're not afraid of the truth. I think we'd be afraid of the truth separate from grace, separate from mercy, right? But we have a God who's giving us grace in the sacraments and prayer in our interactions. And so we have to deliver the truth with grace, but we don't ever as parents want to not deliver the truth. And so 
And so um, I think it's important for us to remember that we are, I mean, we used to always say, look, you don't want us to not tell you the truth. You don't want us to just say everything's fine because nobody gets better with everything's fine, right? If you're not challenged by the truth, you could work harder on this, or you're really not gifted at that, but you can work at it. You're slow, but if you want to work at getting faster, we'll help you with that, right? That's the importance of truth and that truth comes to us in the person. Jesus is the truth. The Word of God, who is Jesus, is the truth. And he has left us a church that gives us Scripture, sacred tradition, and then the magisterium, the ongoing teaching of the church here to help us with what is true, good, and beautiful. But we have to, just like the Bible here, we have to make sure that we translate that. It's, it's nice for them to be able to say, this is you know the definition. Uh, revelation is scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium, the kind of three prongs of, of revelation. But until they know, how do I apply that to my life, right? Until, until I know how to make it part of my own, then it's just not, it's like knowing how to do a calculus equation and having no idea where it's used. I can get the question right, but it means nothing. So I think part of what they're saying is impress these on your children. So be teaching them. So for me, one of the things that was super important, which shouldn't surprise any of y'all, is the definition of a sacrament that we've always got, you know, I, I, Pound, I pound that in my any of my kids. I think right today, if I said, "What's the definition of sacrament?" would kind of half roll their eyes, which I think is part of impressing on them. <laughs> you know, right? It's it's been hammered into them. You know that it's an out a visible sign of an invisible reality instituted by Christ to confer grace. Well, more than just doing, more than just having them have the definition, I've tried to say, "Okay, we'll look at marriage." Outward sign, visible sign. What is it's a sign of? Right? And what why is it important for grace? I mean, you you can take that just that teaching and say, well, grace uplifts our nature. Grace is made available through the sacraments. This it's a sign, marriage is a sign of the relationship between God within himself, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a communion of persons. It's a relationship between Christ and his church. How does that apply in my in, in our life? Well, it, we're meant to give ourselves away for the sake of another because that's what Jesus showed us. So how does that apply in dealing with your mother, you know, and the chores that need to be done, the things that they need to be done? How does it apply when you meet the right girl and you get married? What does that look like? What does that mean? That's why it's important. And when you're struggling Grace is what's going to help you get over that. You got to help connect the dots is what I'm saying, right? You're delivering the truth, which is God is active in our life, but you have to help make the connection so they can make it their own. So use the Bible stories to say all things are possible with God. Even the, even the smallest can beat the giant. And then, again, kind of the first one, talking about the experience and you see things, be looking for things in the news. Mm. <laughs> you mm. know, when, when you see something that might, particularly things that might be of interest to them, where somebody overcomes, you know, I love this Brock Purdy guy because, you know, apparently he was recruited Nick Saban. Best ever said, you know, your, your arm strength is meh. You know, oh, and, boy. and you're shorter than you ought to be as a quarterback, and you're really not somebody that we want here. You don't like up to our standards, and he's one game away from the Super Bowl. <laughs> Those are things that 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 you need to at least encourage your kids to see that sometimes it, th- things don't always work out the way that the world thinks they're going to work out. Right? It's not always the strongest. It's not always the best. Right. In the in the way that's why they play the game, but that's why I love sports so much because it kind of can show you that yeah I mean that the giant should have won a hundred times out of a hundred, but he didn't. 
So you can look at sports or whatever. I mean, I'm sorry because it's just what I do. But 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 be looking for those times. But I mean, if I can underdog. put in a little plug for the apostle, I mean, that's why we started Victory Sports because sports is such a great teaching uh, forum, right? For virtue and for God's role in our life and our um, working with Him and His plan and and learning His plan and and having our eyes open to what his plan is for our lives. Right. So, you know, truth is, you know, all things are possible in Christ through Christ who strengthens me. Right. I mean, that's scripture, no scripture verses. Mm -hmm. There are things you got to teach. That doesn't mean that every time that we call upon, that's going to be the case. Right. I mean, we can look at Jesus in the garden. He's asking, Mm -hmm. can this cup pass? The answer obviously was no for the sake of somebody else. Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, this is one I've used before, but I remember when Trevor was old, I mean, was young, and he just started playing baseball, loved baseball, loved it. And his practice got rained out, which most kids would play. Yeah, you know, he was like, I mean, he came in and said, why would God do this to me? He's in seventh, eighth grade. So I could, there's lots of ways you could respond a moment of grace, I said, so why would God? What, what Can you think of any reason why somebody might need rain more than you need to practice baseball? <laughs> and so he started going through, and I said, well, I don't know what the answers are, but he was like, well, yeah, there's people that, you know, there's farmers who need rain. You know, there's whatever. There's people that need water. Um, and that might be more important than you practicing baseball. But that's a way of connecting the truth, right, to a circumstance that I think he probably still remembers today, you know, that you always have to think, is there any way you could think of if this bad thing happened to me, why that might be something that God would allow for the sake of somebody else? And I think that's a great way of teaching. So to experience truth and go from there. Yeah, we only have 10 minutes left. Yeah, so what do we got left? As usual. Yeah. So, I mean, some of these are overlapping because we've just gone through, you know, the relationship, experience, truth, and then it gets into discussion. They use Deuteronomy 6, 7, talk about them. And that's kind of what we're talking about. The discussion is it's got to be a dialogue, right? It's not, not a, not a, like a lecture in a, in a class says, you know, make sure you got all these things down. I think, you know, all these notes and they just know that you've got to have that conversation with them. So, like I said, use this example before, like the one with Trevor and baseball when he was about eight and the rain, that would be a dialogue, right? Can you think of any reasons why rain might be more important than you practice in baseball? Answer, even an eight-year-old could come up with answers say, well, so maybe it's one of those things. I don't know. I'm not God. But we can at least think that in his love, he might say, would you sacrifice this for that? <laughs> and then you can offer up that, you know, so you're trying to connect all those dots in the experience, even with an eight-year-old when they're disappointed. Um, Madison, you know, we've talked about before, but I think it's important, you know, there was, there was, She's a big dancer, it still is, and, and but she was she was performing and there was something that was derogatory in the performance about the Pope. It, it, you know, everybody said it was a you know not that big of a deal. And we kind of talked with her about it and she said, Well, I, then I'll go talk. You know, she's ten years old. And I said, Well, maybe we can figure it out. What do you want to do? And she said, Well, we let's ask them to change it. So there was a dialogue there. So she went and actually said, I'd like for you to change this at 10, 11 years old. Obviously we were there and we trusted the person that they were, that she was talking to, but you put them in that and say, you've got to advocate for yourself and you got to stand up. Even if that means not getting to do what you want, what, what you want. Right. I mean, you want to dance, but you understand this, but talking them through. So sometimes it's really easy to say, child, you need to do this or child, you need to not do that. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't tie it with a discussion about why and 
and it's really a dialogue. Well, you know, think of good questions to ask, to try to draw out those. Pray to the Holy Spirit before you do any of that, because God, I've, I've heard myself say things like, where did that come from? But I knew that I had engaged the Holy Spirit in that conversation. So be asking the Holy Spirit, how can I do this? But then start a dialogue with a question that would get them thinking so that they can respond. So part of the question on that Pope one was, was like, well, what if we stuck, you know, Mimi, you know, like her grandmother in, in that line about the Pope? And that was, lights went off. I would not be okay. Okay, so, so if it's somebody we care about, would we want those words said? No. But you've got to, so we could have said, you're not doing it. We could have said, we're going to do, and you don't have anything to do with it. But even at 10, trying to engage them in that and dialogue with them so that they can become, it can become part of them, right? It's something that they learn through experience. And you got to coach and counsel and be there, but walk them through it. Guess what? Takes more time. (laughs) It's not as easy, but it's way more rewarding. And you see the fruits of it later down the road because you've taught them to kind of think through things. So then that happens with discussion. And then the last one was response. response. And they use eight and nine, uh, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. So let me read this. The word of God should affect what a child does. It should affect how a child thinks. No child should leave a, should leave without knowing how they can personally respond to the word of God in a way, in the way that they think and in what they do in day-to-day life. That's about what we were just talking about there. It's like anything where you break out a list. I mean, they, they all go hand in hand, right? I mean, relationship, relationship with God, relationship with the child, the lived experience, the necessity of truth and the source of truth being Jesus himself leads to the discussion. And then there's a response. It's really important here because the church says that while all grace and all encounter with God, God is initiating, he's reaching out to people, right? He wants a relationship with them, with you and me. And so he is the first to act but because God loves us so much and he has such a um, respect for the dignity of our will, right? Not dictating. He asks for us to respond. So every grace that's given to us requires a response, a yes to that to or a no, whatever, whatever grace that he gives and then we have to do something. You know, the, 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 I've got this thing on my arm, you know, trust God, do good, and he will act. From, it's the catechism version of Psalm 37, <laughs> three through five. But I, that's, that is something that I found is, is a truth that can be counted on. But we do have to do something. We have to trust God with this situation is not too big for him. We've got to trust God. He's going to f- provide a way for us to deal with this, right? Trust God. He loves me more than I can even fathom. And therefore, whatever is happening is for my good. Trust him. But then it requires us to act, to do something. And we have to teach our children. It's not just about knowing what's the right thing to do. It's about doing the right thing. And that's part of being a grown-up. It's certainly part of being a Christian. Being, being a Catholic in this world, it's even harder today. And so, like I said, as a parent, you need to look through these experiences that happen and not be afraid to coach and counsel them through doing it. Because I think they're, I mean, you, you've, it takes prudence on your, on your end about knowing what's appropriate and at what age. But I do think that, at ages younger than a lot of people think, kids are capable of responding 
to God's word, if you've had this dialogue, if you've presented them with the truth and you have a good enough relationship with them and that they understand that relationship, that they are capable of doing it. And we can't just yank that from them and say, I'm going to handle it because I'm a, I'm a dad. It's my indictment of the helicopter parent out there that doesn't let a child go through the difficulties that there are early on so you can be there to coach and counsel as opposed to just turning them out in this world. Well, mom and dad have always handled this. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to allow them to go out there and it's like the same thing about any athletic event. You got to, they, they're going to fail. That's not a bad thing because they're going to fail in life. It's how you got to teach them how to respond. Right. So they need to go do something. So anyway, just, I guess, remember, remember those things. I mean, the last is the response of the child, the discussion, uh, deliver the truth, look at the experiences they're going through, and then cultivate that relationship with God and and our hearts to Him and their hearts to us. And so, anyway, I hope that was helpful. Um, I think, yeah, it's not just knowing, it's active. living it out. It's the, it's the doing of the Christian thing that 100%. really matters ultimately. It is. That's what we'll, but we'll be, we'll be judged by our deeds. That's what it says over that. That's what Matthew 25 says. We can go through that maybe another time, but, but, uh, but anyway, um, we're here at the end. So, um, remember only God can take the mystery out of parenthood, pray, parent with a purpose and prepare for God to amaze you. And he will every time. God bless y'all. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. See you next week. Bye. Cross.